0: Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you can remember when we began the book of Ephesians, just as a review, thinking about chapter 1. Chapter 1 is that which tells us what God has done. It tells us some aspect of who God is, but what God has done for His people. And it gives us then our identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important. Your identity is not what you think it is. Your identity is what God declares it to be. We are who God says we are, no more and no less. And so it's important then in reading uh, the books of the Bible that we listen, we pay attention to what God says to us in his word. If you look at uh, verse uh, 1 of Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. There you go, right there, is the identity that we are given. We are saints in Christ Jesus. We are no longer totally depraved, dead in our trespasses, sinners. We have been made alive and have been brought into newness of life in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are called saints in Him. We are at the same time justified and sinful. But nevertheless, we're no longer totally depraved. Our will has been liberated in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are called the holy ones. We are those in Christ Jesus, united to Him. He in us and we in Him. This is the identity. He is the vine. We are true branches united to Him. The demonstration that we are true branches is the fruit that emanates from our life. It flows from our life. If you are in Jesus Christ spiritually, united to Him, you will bear fruit. Obedience to the commandments of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control, faithfulness. That ought to be more and more increasing in the believer's life because this is the work of the Spirit producing fruit in and through us as we are those exercising the means of God's grace. And so there we have, uh, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have redemption through His blood, verse 7. How are we redeemed? By the blood of Jesus Christ. By His perfect righteousness fulfilling all the demands of the law, but by Him also going to the cross and covering our sins with His precious blood. So, we need to understand then, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He says, in Him you trusted after you heard The word of truth. So our trust and our believing, that's verse 13, is that which corresponds with the truth of God's word. As I said in Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of God must be proclaimed. Christ speaks through the word, as he said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So we are the people that believe. The Holy Spirit has enabled us to believe. So when we come into chapter 2 then, we find the condition in which we come into this world. Paul says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead. What does that mean that we're spiritually dead? To be spiritually dead doesn't mean that you don't have a spirit. Uh, Man is spiritual. Man has an inner being. We have an outward and an inward. The inward uh, can be distinguished by mind, emotions, and will. In the order of it is the mind, the will, and the emotions. So as we think, that's an aspect, I, I don't know, you know within the soul, it's just making distinctions. There's an aspect of the thinking, the knowledge. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I had an opportunity to talked to my doctor this past week and I had asked him that question and I, I knew the answer and he's Roman Catholic so I knew he didn't know and so, but I posed it to him and I wanted to know I said what's your understanding about the interaction between the soul and the brain and he kind of pushed his chair back and he said well that's above my pay grade you know he's an intelligent man So, but I asked him, I said, well, with all your medical, you see, you can't see the soul, can you? The the soul is, is that which is invisible, as it were. It doesn't have extension in space. It's the inward part of man. And it has some kind of interplay. I don't know the answer to that. The Bible doesn't speak to that. Only that we're physical and we're spiritual at the same time. And I want to avoid this idea of man like the soul is some kind of a ghost in the machine. It's not that either. God breathed into man and he became a living soul. Nefesh. It's complicated. It's difficult. It's hard to understand. We're, we're created as a whole body and soul making the distinctions, as Paul says, of the inward man and the outward man. The inward man is being renewed. The outward man is falling to the earth day by day. But I do know that as a man thinks in his heart, so my question to the doctor was this, that what is the thinking apparatus of an individual? Is it his brain or is it his soul? Or maybe there's interplay with both in this temporal world, but I do know... That when man dies, his body, the material aspect, which is brain, goes into the ground. And he goes on in this life as a thinking, rational entity. Think about uh, where we read Lazarus. Lazarus had died. And his soul departed from him. James says that the body without the spirit or the soul. Those are what's called a Greek henditis. They're near expressions that speak about the completeness or the fullness of the individual. But he says as the man without the body without the spirit is dead. The soul has departed. There's the animating thinking principle of man. Now I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to act like I know everything about that. I don't. It's difficult. It's interesting. We find the uh, in Luke chapter 9, we find the the young girl who had died. And the scripture says that her soul came back to her. The, The breath of life. Paul, when Eutychus fell out of the third story window, went down and fell upon him, prayed, and the Lord gave him back his life. The breath of life was found in him again. And yet man goes on thinking. And so, every man thinks. This is an aspect of the image of God. Animals don't think. Now I know some of you think that your animals think. But they don't. They don't rationalize. They don't reason. They have no ability to reason. They're conscious, but they're not self-conscious. They're not self-reflective. They live by instincts. That's why there's recognition. Your pets recognize things. Recognize tones. Recognize people. Recognize strangers or not. Things of that nature. Those are instinctive. They don't rationalize and reason. That's the image of God. That is man. And the image of God is not part of man. We're talking this morning... About does Christ reflect the glory of God or is Christ the glory of God? And as I told you, Christ is the glory of God. And even so, man, um, he is not one that has an aspect of the image of God. He is the image of God. He couldn't be anything other than what he is as the image of God. He has a conscience, he has a will, he has a mind. And it doesn't matter what may happen to the individual. He still has a mind. He still has a will. He still has emotions. He has the ability to reason, to rationalize. Think about this one. Nebuchadnezzar was a man who looked at his kingdom and said, look at what I have built with my own hands, my own ingenuity. And at the very moment, his reason was taken from him. When his reason, his rationality was taken from him, what happened to him? Well, he was found out in the field living like a beast. His nails grew like eagle's claws. He had hair like lion's mane. He looked like a wild man out there. A beast. He was, for all intents and purposes, his reason was taken from him, and he was made to be like a beast. And then it says, when his reason returned to him, he began thinking, he said, Daniel, Daniel's God? He's God. The one that can take your reason and make you just like an animal. That one rules and that one reigns. But to be spiritually dead doesn't mean you don't have a spirit. You have a spirit. But that spirit is bent on wickedness. It hates God. Is it at war with God? Is it at enmity with God? That's what the spirit of the unregenerate man is. He hates God and doesn't want Him in any of his thinking. He still thinks, but he thinks contrary to the glory of God, the majesty of God, the will of God, the word of God. He doesn't want the word of God. He doesn't want the law of God. He doesn't want anything to do with God. But when the Holy Spirit works in the heart of an individual and kindles an upright faith in the heart, you know it because there's love for God. Romans 5, the love of God has been shed abroad in the heart. Let me ask you this. It's just a simple question. I'm not going to be like Biden and say, uh, I only have two words for you, made in America. I immediately said, that's three words. I'm going to ask you this Do you love God? Do you love Christ? Do you love the Word of God? Do you love the church? Do you love holiness? I recognize this is not, uh, the fullness is not there. I didn't ask that, did I? I ask if there's any love for these things in your soul. You see, you could not love Christ, the church, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the truth, righteousness, holiness. You could not love those things in the depths of your being unless the Holy Spirit has regenerated your soul. When the Holy Spirit regenerates, He necessarily creates love in your heart for God. A love that was not there. The natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. The Word of God is foolishness to the unbeliever. But to the believer, it's the zenith of wisdom. You know that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you want the Word of Christ. You want Christ in your life. You want the fullness of Christ in your life. You want more. We sing it. More about Jesus would I know. More of His saving mercy show. More, more about Jesus. That's the heart of the believer. Now we realize we fall short. We realize that it's not a perfection in this life. But it certainly is the direction of our life. We want to worship Him. We want Him honored. We want Him glorified. We want to know Him more in the power of His resurrection. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul of the redeemed. Is that your life? Is that a reality in your life? You don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's just get that foolishness right out of the way immediately. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you wouldn't sin. But the demonstration of sin realizes that we don't love God as we ought to love Him. The only reason we're not cast out, Christ was cast out in our place. For all our, our sins, uh, for original and actual sins. That which is imputed and that which we actually commit. But notice, there is a love there. Peter denied Christ three times. And yet he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter was sincere. He was genuine. I have a love for the Lord in my soul. It's not perfect. I fall short in every way, shape, and form. But there's a love there, and it's growing. And I want to love you more. I think the difficulty the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans 7... Is, is that not being able to do what you have a desire to do, and you realize that even the desire is corrupt. And I need more of the desire to be pleasing to God, to honor Him, to love Him, to worship Him, to serve Him. And so, we are those that are born of the Spirit of God, and now we have a love for God. We have a love for His church. We have a love for holiness. We have a love for the Word. We desire it more and more to grow in the knowledge of it. We see the wisdom of God in the Word. And this is increasing as the Holy Spirit works within us. And so look to our text there this morning. For through Him, this is Christ. We both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, if you move up to verse 13 real quick, you'll see this. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is speaking about two distinct people, Jews and Gentiles. The Jews had the law of God, and they thought because they had what's called the oracles, or the writings, the scriptures, that they were then the people of God. And Jesus told them that they were not the people of God. We find even in the New Testament that the kingdom of God was taken from them and given to another people. Even as it was taken from Saul, the kingdom was torn from him and given to another. A man after my own heart who will do all my will, the Lord says. So we once, as Gentiles, not of Jewish descent, but Gentiles, we were outside of the covenant community. God began with the Jews, bound up in the nation Israel. Not not all the Jews were believers. Not all the Jews were those that were uh, practicing with the sacrifices and looking to what the sacrifice represented. Not all of them were doing that. Some were going through motions and believed that because they were Jewish by descent, and they, they are those that were exercising sacrifices, well, hey, we're in the kingdom. It's not far from many people today. Many people say, hey, I'm a member of the church, I've been baptized, I'm in the kingdom. No, not necessarily. You may have been baptized, you may be a member of the church, but maybe you're not born of the Spirit of God. And if you're scratching your head saying, what does that mean, being born again? Well, pretty certain then, you're not born again. Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And that is where you find the love of God. It's in the soul, and it's growing. So we were brought near, and we were brought near by one means, and that is the blood of Christ. I'm going to tell you, right from verse 13, it's specific, isn't it? It eliminates everything else. You are not coming near to the Father, except through the blood of Christ. When Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. It's by His atonement. It's by His fulfilling all righteousness. You cannot come to the Father except you be covered and clothed in Christ. And how does that happen? By faith in Him. Believing on Him. Trusting in Him. Not in yourself. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked Come to thee for dress. Foul eye to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. I must be washed in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you are not trusting in Christ alone and in His perfect work, His fulfilling the demands of the law and His going to the cross to lay down His life to cover your sins by atonement, by taking upon himself the wrath of God in your place. If you're not trusting in that alone, you're not in the kingdom. You're not saved. You're outside of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does not kindle an upright faith in the heart so that we might trust in something other than Jesus. The Holy Spirit, through the Word, gives us the illumination of the mind to teach us it's Christ. If I don't have Him, I perish. If salvation depends upon my performance, you know what? I'll go commit suicide. Because I have no hope. The scripture says that my salvation is bound up in Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might then become the righteousness of God in Him. The righteousness of God in Christ. So, Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles and the one new man that is created in Christ Jesus. Jesus. All the things that you see in the Old Covenant, the types, the shadows, the symbols, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, all of these things prefigure Jesus Christ. The true temple is Christ. We're temples of God in Him. But the true temple is Christ. Jesus said, you tear down this building, you tear down this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And they says, "Chicken is 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to do it in three days? And he was speaking about the temple of his body. When James speaks about this in Acts 15, he says there is a rebuilding of the tabernacle of David. It wasn't literal, it was spiritual. It was a spiritual rebuilding. Jews and Gentiles coming together in one new man in Christ. That's what Paul is speaking about here. Through Him we have been brought, We have both access by one Spirit to the Father. It's the Spirit within us that we're able to come to the Father. Come to Him in prayer. Come to Him in confidence. Come to Him in worship. We come this morning because of the work of the Spirit applying all the benefits of Christ to us and we enter in as the people of God. We come corporately together lifting up our voices in one accord to sing His praise. And we enter into the presence of God, as it were, because of one Spirit working in our hearts. And so Paul says, Now therefore, because of this, because of the regenerating work of the Spirit, because of the building of one new man of the two, you're no longer, as he says, strangers and foreigners. Now again, uh, those two English words... In the Greek text, they're, again, they're Greek hendaitis, which means they're near expressions. To be a stranger is to be a foreigner. You're a stranger in a foreign land. What happens when you're in a foreign land? What happens when you're a stranger? Well, I'll tell you. You don't speak the language. And you feel like an idiot. Everybody else is around you speaking a certain language and you don't speak it. And, and you look like an idiot. You don't have any rights. People go to the voting booth. You don't go. Well, I guess unless you come to the United States. Right? Because we have it to everybody. But other countries, no. That's not the way that it is. If you're not a citizen of that country, you don't speak the language, you don't have rights within the citizen, as a citizen. We have rights now. We are brought into the household of faith. We have a right to partake of the Lord's Supper as those who are the redeemed. We have a right to the benefits of Jesus Christ. We have a right to the blessings because Christ shares in the blessings of what He has accomplished with us. We speak the language of the people of God. We know what it means to worship the Lord. We know what it means to honor His holy name, to lift up our voices in prayer to Him. We know the language that we speak exaltation to our God. So we're no longer strangers. We know the language now as believers. And we are fellow citizens brought in as one new people in Jesus Christ. Fellow citizens and saints, with the saints and members of the household of God. That's your identity. Let me ask you are you believing and trusting in Jesus Christ? See your hope, your confidence? See your rock, your redeemer, your redemption, your refuge? See your Savior, your Lord, your King? See your confidence? Is He your all in all? You're a member of the household of faith. You have been brought into the household of faith. And all the rights and all the privileges accrue to you. Just like a child that's adopted and brought in from an orphanage and brought into a new home. He takes on the family name. And not only that, but all the privileges of the family belong to Him as well. Just as the natural born children in the family. Christ is the eternal natural Son of God. We are children of God by adoption. But now in the household of faith. All the blessings of God belong to us in Christ Jesus. What a wonder. Does that not humble you? We are saints in Christ Jesus. We are fellow heirs with the saints. We are members of the household of God. How do you live your life now? How do you live as a member of the household of faith? You know, a child in an orphanage lives a certain lifestyle. But then when he's brought into the home... There's given a new set of rules, isn't there? Not so that he can become a member of the household, but because he is a member in the household. That's the gospel commands that are given in Scripture. That we as the people of God... Look, we are to be kept on being filled up with the Holy Spirit. That's not a suggestion. That is a command. We are to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom. We are to worship the Lord with gladness. We are to encourage one another. We are to build one another up. We are to edify one another. We are to be a people of prayer. Those are not suggestions, those are commands for the people of God, those who are of the household of faith. God calls us to these things, to live our lives in obedience to His commandments for His glory as those who are the redeemed. Not to be saved, but because we are the saved. And so we're household of faith, and we are built upon this, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That means the teaching. They laid the foundation with the ministry of the word. The, the, the prophets of the old covenant were called that of the extraordinary ministry. Signs, wonders, miracles. Even the apostles did that. but we find that all over in the old covenant. We live in the day of the ordinary, not the extraordinary, the ordinary. The word, sacraments, pastor, teacher. The old covenant signs, visions, uh, we find miracles, we find uh, word of revelation, we're given A word of knowledge. We find these things that we don't have now with the completion of the canon of God's word. But it's built upon them. So that means built upon the teaching of both the old and the new covenant. So are we standing on the foundation? Of God's word? Are we those that are constantly uh, causing ourselves to be subject to the word of God? Uh, This is what we find in Acts chapter 2. The apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which was built upon the doctrine of the prophets of the old covenant. And then as the apostle Paul says here, who is the chief cornerstone? Christ. Christ. In the ancient world, when you were building a temple, the cornerstone was that which was integral to the the structural building, the whole of the building, the structure of the whole building. It gave it integrity, strength. So without the chief cornerstone, there is no building. Christ is the chief cornerstone. And if you have not Jesus Christ, you don't have a church. The church is built on the apostles and prophets and Christ as the chief cornerstone. So we hear the word of the Lord given by the apostles, by the prophets, and we are those that follow the teachings that are given to us. That demonstrates, doesn't it? We are members of the household of faith being built on Him. there, There is a solid foundation When Jesus gives the analogy of that, we find it in Matthew chapter 7. And he says, just simply, build your house on the rock. If you build on the sand, your house is going to crumble. Now he's speaking in figurative language. The house, for instance, is our lives. Our lives are built on something. What are you building your life on? Money? Prestige? Popularity. What is it? Material things. Is that what you're building your life on? That's building on the sand. You're building your life on the fact that, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a good Samaritan. I'm a good person. That's what you're building your life on? You're on the sand. There's no other hope but Christ. And what Jesus is saying is that if you build your life on that sand, that means that you're not building on the rock, which is His Word. Any man hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he is a man that builds his life on the sand. And when the wind came and the the rain came, the storm came, it blew his house down. And great was the fall of it. But the man whose house is built upon the Word of Christ, he stands... He stands on the rock of Christ Jesus. Where where are you at? Where are you standing? Standing on the promises of God? Standing on the work of Jesus Christ? That's standing upon the rock. Is your house, is your life solidified? Is it standing on Him? Does He give your life balance and structure? Because the sand is shifting. It's this way one day, it's that way the next day. Look at the stock market. Up and down, up and down, back and forth. There's no stability to that. And as things heat up in this world, boy, it just plummets more and more, doesn't it? It's got to build on the rock. You can't put your hope and your confidence in those things that are shifting continually. I get it. We need finances. We need things to live our lives. But that's not my salvation. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life all The body they can kill. But Christ's truth triumphs still. So, Build your life on Him because, beloved, when the storms come, and they're coming. They're coming for each one of us. Maybe that test that you just got at the doctor's office, and you're waiting for the results. And when you hear a call back on Monday that says it's cancerous. That's a storm of life, isn't it? If you're on the shifting sand, what's going to happen to your life? It's going to crumble. You're going to come all apart. If you don't have a good understanding of the providential hand of God and how He loves His people, even through the difficulties of life, you're going to crumble. You're going to fall. You're going to be a mess. You may deny the Lord. You may curse the Lord. You may simply say, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not going to go to worship. Because you're not built on the rock. He's the chief cornerstone. The chief corners. There's no other cornerstone. There's none other that gives stability to the household of faith. To the people of God. Christ in Him alone. And we must be planted upon Him through the preaching and the teaching and the ministry of the prophets and the apostles. Are you believing the promise of the gospel? It's in Him that the whole building being fitted together. These are present tense. There's continual working of the Spirit to fit the building together. And it's interesting in the Old Testament... It speaks about the temple that Solomon built. And there was no noise at the building site. Why is that? Because all of the the, the hewing out of the stones and all the things that they were doing, the chiseling that was going on, that was done back at the quarry site. And so in the building of the temple, there was not hammering and pounding. That's like the Holy Spirit. Sweetly and softly, He does a work in someone's heart and plants them into the body of Christ. And there are another stone, as Peter says, living stones being built up together, 1 Peter 2. The whole building is being fitted together. God has fits you together in this particular congregation. Think of yourselves as stones that are hewn out by the Lord. And you fit next to this one. And this one fits here. And they all find their foundation on the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. But we're being fitted together. We're moving in tandem. We're moving together. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. And it it's growing into a holy temple of the Lord. Now, uh, this is humbling. The temple, the Greek term there, naos, it means uh, that of the dwelling place of God. Well, how do you realize that? God dwells in you by His Spirit. We find this in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6. We are the temple of the living God. God dwells in us by His Spirit. Now, the prayer of the Christian is, fill me, Lord, more and more. And how are you filled? By the ministry of the Word. The more you're in the Word, the more you're dominated by the Spirit of God. The teaching of Scripture. Your mind is held captive to God's Word. And you desire more of that. Fill me more with your presence, Lord. Fill me more with an understanding. And it's really our lives are more and more given over to Him, isn't it? But He dwells in us. It's astounding. God in us, the hope of glory. We're growing, beloved. Sometimes we have growing pains. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's difficult. Remember when you were growing, 14, 15? Remember how clumsy you were as a kid? You get awkward, right? Your feet start growing. Things are different. And, you know, if you've got pain, growing pains, your body's aching as your growth plates and things are moving. Your body is shifting in this way. And there's pain. And you get clumsy. Sometimes you step on somebody's toe. You don't realize, you know, hey, you went from one summer as a size 7 to a size 12. Now you're stepping on everybody's toes. Well, that goes on in the life of the church. We're growing. We're rubbing up against one another. Sometimes we offend one another. But we're still one body in Jesus Christ, so what do you do? You ask for forgiveness and you move on. Sometimes there is a fault given and it's not intended. Sometimes there is intended. but you ask for forgiveness and you move on in the Christian line, because we're being built together. You know, true believers are going to spend eternity with one another. Is there anybody in the, the, the church of Jesus Christ who is a believer? You can see the fruit in their life. And you don't like them. Maybe you hate them. There's only one word for that. It's repent. You turn from that. You ask the Lord to forgive you. Remove the hatred and animosity and confess it for what it is. Because we're, we're good at guising these things. Masking, masquerade, putting on the mask and the facade. Oh no, I don't have... You're lying. What are you, who are you kidding? God knows your heart. He knows the animosity. Confess it. Lord, I'm angry and I'm angry for this reason. And I might have a, a right to be angry because they violated the commandments against me. But I don't want to have hatred in my heart. We're growing. We're spending eternity. Start getting along now. There are going to be people that you're going to be spending eternity with that you're at enmity with right now. We're growing, beloved. It's a holy temple. Hagias. Hagias naos. A holy temple of God's dwelling. He dwells in us. In whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That is just a wondrous concept. It's wondrous to understand that God dwells in us as his people. We're being fitted together. We're being joined together more and more. We're eternally together, united in Christ Jesus. And we are a holy people to give him praise. We're the only people that can give him praise. We're the only people that can worship him. God has redeemed you for that, beloved. He has washed away all of your sins. You do not bear your sin anymore and your guilt before God. He has redeemed you. He has washed you. He has cleansed you for the sake of His Son. He has imputed to you the perfection of Christ's righteousness. All of the holy works that Christ has done, He has imputed to you, and that's how you stand before a holy God. Yes, I fall short daily. Thought, word, and action. But I stand holy and righteous in Jesus Christ. And I confess my sin in a relational sense. And He washes, He forgives, and He cleanses from all unrighteousness. And we move on in the Christian life. Serving the God who has redeemed us for that particular purpose. To worship Him And serve him. Beloved, you are a holy temple in the Lord. God dwells in you because of the working of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice, sing his praise, exalt his name, serve him with gladness, and constantly reflect upon the truth that the kingdom is coming. The kingdom where righteousness dwells is coming, and we will be eternally in that kingdom as the redeemed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him praise. Amen, shall we pray.